Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is uh, dedicated in loving memory of and sponsored by Naftali Gad, uh, in loving memory of Naftali Gad, Lilunishma Naftali Ben Leah Ben Nisan Gad, from his amazing wife Shifra Gad, Admi Avestrim, and his sons Michael and Joe uh, Gad, and daughters Lily Ishay and Peggy Dahan. As well, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Lilunishma Leah, Beracha Bat Rivka, Leah Shalom. For a first Askara forever in our hearts, donated by the Shasho family. Also, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra, her philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world, and as well, dedicated by David E. Ash um, uh, for, uh, on behalf of reminding everyone to uh, go to the Capacity for Good website uh, to get to purchase uh, some gear that will, spon- that will sponsor and support the synagogue. My friends, <clears throat> There's a very interesting uh, line that perhaps maybe gets unnoticed when we go through the learning of the perasha, but on closer inspection provides us with a, a real makom iyun, a place to analyze, to look at something, to wonder about uh, something that I think is really uh, extraordinary. The pasuk tells us that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he grows up in the house of Paro, he goes out, the commentators actually say, this is the first time that Moshe Rabbeinu really adventured out of the palace as, an, as a somewhat grown man. He's a, he's a boy, he's a teenager, whatever old he is, he's young. But he, he didn't leave the palace. His, do, his, uh, his, his uh, stepmother, Paro's daughter, Batia, she didn't let him leave the palace. So it was a, this was a venturing out that he normally did not do. Moshe, Moshe went out. This wasn't a common occurrence. There he goes out. He sees this Egyptian taskmaster is beating the living daylights out of a Jew who's his brother. Moshe knows that he's Jewish. Maybe it's the best kept uh, secret in the palace. But Moshe knows that he's Jewish. And he sees this case. He says, I can't let it happen. So he steps forward. Uh, the Pasuk says, Vayifen ko vacho. He looked this way and this way, and he saw that there was no man. I remember when I moved from London to New York City, one of the very dangerous things, probably the most dangerous thing that I could do in my life, day to day, was cross the street. Why? 13 years of looking for traffic this way, and they have to look for traffic this way, right? It's a problem. Because you automatically assume that cars are coming from the other direction, okay? You step in the street, before you know it, okay? So it's a very dangerous thing to cross the road, all right? Uh, I'm not sure what that reference is there, but okay, yes. Now, what's crazy to me, what's crazy to me is that Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayifen Kol he's not crossing the street, Hada. What is he looking this way and that way? The Mefarshim say, Rashi explains, Vaifen Kovachom means he looked this way and that way. He looked into this man's future to see if there was going to be a future descendant of this man that would be righteous, that would uh, maybe merit that it should protect or save this man's life. Because otherwise, Moshe Rabbeinu sees someone who's about to kill another Jew, what's the halakha? You see someone who's going to kill somebody. You stand up first, rodef, you kill the rodef. 
So if there was something, a good reason to keep this person alive, then what would Moshe have done? Even though he was a Rodef, would he have left the guy to kill the Jewish uh, worker? No. There's a separate idea called Yachol Hatzilo Be'echad Me'evarav. Sometimes you could save the person, you know, by, uh, you know, shooting him in the arm or uh, breaking his legs, whatever. And you have to do that in order to save the guy's life. So that would be the halakha in this instance, Moshe felt, <clears throat> if there was a reason to save him. We have many examples throughout history of famous non-Jewish people that were wicked, that were merited, that had some sort of zikhut based on the fact that in the future someone was going to come from them that would be a tremendous tzaddik. One example is Ruth HaMu'aviyah, the grandmother of David HaMelech, who does she come from? She comes from Eglon, a wicked king of Moab. We have other examples. The Gemara talks about a grandson of Niron Kesar, who winds up being Rabbi Meir, etc., etc., etc. Now, this is the case, my friends. Great, Azako Baruch. But now we see Moshe Rabbeinu looks this way, looks that way. What does he do? He kills the guy. There's nobody there, nobody home. He kills the guy. Saves the Jew, kills the guy. The next day, Moshe Rabbeinu comes out. He sees two Jewish guys arguing. One guy is the guy he saved yesterday. Other guy is somebody else. <clears throat> Other guy says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Do you say to kill me? Is that what you're saying? Moshe Rabbeinu sees them fighting. He says, why are you lifting your hand against your friend? The guy says to Moshe, do you say to kill me like you killed the guy yesterday? In other words, Moshe understood that his secret was out. That people knew what he had done. And that in fact, that information was going to be used against him. It was going to be, he was going to be snitched on to Paro. My friends, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is Rashi says... <coughs> What does it mean, Do you say to kill me? Excellent. He killed him with words, specifically. Which word did he kill him with? Al Chachamim explained that he killed him by saying, The ineffable name of God. Uh, he recited God's name and using the power within Akadosh Baruch Hu's name, saying, This, uh, uh, what's it called? He killed the Egyptian who was killing this Jewish person. Now, both of these two things combined together leave us with a very puzzling, perplexing question. That means that Moshe Rabbeinu looks into the future and he sees this guy as all of his descendants using Ruach HaKodesh. Then, upon seeing that there's nobody there, he recites the Shem HaMeforash of God, the unknowable, unmentionable name of God, he mentions it, and what happens? And he kills the guy. You know what they say in Arabic? Minen luen. What minen luen mean? Minwen luen. From where to where? The Chachamim tell us that this idea that a person could say the Shem Miforash, it's not abracadabra. You can't just say it. It means that you have to understand what that, mean, what that name means. 
And when we say that a person understands what that name means, it doesn't mean like you learned in school that Yudke uh, Vavke means mercy. That Elohim means judgment. That's not what it means. It means that there's a full and complete understanding of how that name embodies and incorporates and defines God's actions when he is acting with this world through that midah. That's a tremendous level of knowledge of God. Not only that, the Chachamim tell us as well, that when the person says the name, it needs to occupy every part of the person's being, every fiber of his essence. It needs to fill the person completely. This is not a joke. It's not something you do, you know, uh, Harry Potter, you went to Hogwarts for a week, and by mistake you said the, you know, a spell and something happened. What Moshe Rabbeinu does here is something that's beyond the pale. What Moshe Rabbeinu experiences with his Ruach HaKodesh, beyond the pale. But my friends, where does Moshe Rabbeinu go to Yeshiva? Shem Va'ever? No. He sat on the lap of Yaakov Avinu? No. How long was he in his house for? He's a baby. They put him in a basket. Now granted, Now granted, Batya finds this baby, brings him to the house, can't feed him. Because Moshe Rabbeinu won't nurse from the milk of any Egyptian. Because this, the mouth as, that was going to share the words of the Aser that they brought needed to stay completely pure and holy. Okay? Like Ya'ani, they say he was the first person, Makpin al Chalav Israel. Okay. Either way, the point is, my friends. Okay? The point is, and I think that this is, it's wild. He's returned to his mother because no one will nurse. Until the Tigamal, until the point when he's weaned. At what age is the latest that that could have been? Two. That's how we would normally define menika in halakha, by the way. Three. In Gemara talks about uh, scenarios like that. But how long? Three years old. Returned back to the palace. Now he's living with avodazara, with immorality. Now remember, the highest place of immorality, or I should say the lowest, place of immorality in the world was where? It was Egypt. Their pagan beliefs were legendary. They worshipped the, what's it called? They worshipped the sun, and they worshipped the Nile, and they worshipped Pharaoh, and they worshipped the sheep. Make up your mind. We have a God for every day of the week. Right? And yet, my friends, Moshe Rabbeinu growing up in a house of Abu Dazara, in a house of idolatry, in a house of adultery, in a place of cruelty, Moshe Rabbeinu not only doesn't get ruined, not only is a nice Adami kid with nice Midot, but somehow he's figured out how to have Ruach HaKodesh. Somehow he's figured out by himself. Who told him? The Shema Meforash. Who taught him how to channel, how to understand, how to recognize, how to fill himself? Where did that come from? It's a very powerful question. The commentators say, the Midrash, others, something that's important to recognize. And I'm going to tell you a Dvar Torah that maybe will be accepted in this room. But outside in the world, they're going to cancel me for it. Because the world can't stand what I'm about to tell you. The Mifashim explained that not all souls were created 
equal. Moshe Rabbeinu was created with a neshama, with a, a nefesh, a ruach, a chaya, yehida. The whole chain of his spiritual existence was created in another kind of way, in a way which was me'al u'me'ever, above and beyond the plane of any one of our existences. And what is the proof that it's not just that Moshe worked very hard? It's not just that Moshe spent a lot of time praying, hit bodedut, uh, learning, doing acts of chesed around the palace, combing Paro's beard, cleaning the towels that they wore for clothing. I don't know what he did. How do we know it wasn't just Moshe's inner work? How do we know? How much he worked on himself. What's the proof? The proof is, one of Moshe Rabbeinu's names was Tuvia. He was called Tuvia. The rabbis explained why was he called Tuvia? Because when he was born, the house was Nitmale Ora. The house was filled with light when he was born. That sign illustrated that Moshe Rabbeinu came here before he had made a single choice, before there was a single Yetzer Hara to vanquish, before there was a single Yetzer Atov to become best friends with. Moshe Rabbeinu was born, came into the world, boom, hallelujah, lights are shining. Energy costs go down in the Amram Yochevet household. Moshe is glowing in the corner. Interestingly enough, that light that shines from Moshe when he's born, we actually find it coming back at a later point. When he receives the Torah, what happens? Ki karan or Moshe. The face of Moshe Rabbeinu shines to the point where they can't look at him. He's so bright. He has to wear a mask. Okay? So my friends, we see that this, the nature of Moshe was unlike the nature of any other human being that had ever been born. Not only that, but this actually also happens in other places. He was born already mahul. He was born with a brit milah. That, by the way, that happens. I've spoken to Mohalim. That you, you find cases like that. It's not common, but it happens. But not once did a mahul kid come into the room and they had to turn off the lights. That did not happen. So Moshe Rabbeinu was born in a way which is different to everybody else. There are tzaddikim that are born with high neshamot before they even started working on themselves. This was going to be necessary in the future. Why? Because one of the Yud Gimel, one of the 13 Ikarim, the 13 main principles of faith, without which Rambam rules, a person is apikores. Okay, we like to throw that word around today. This guy's apikores, that guy's apikores. This guy said a pshat that Rashi doesn't say, and he said that it was pshat, so he apikores. Everybody's apikores today. But Rambam says that what makes someone an apikores? List 13 things. Okay, ikarim, you don't have that? Apikores. What is one of the fundamentals of Jewish belief? Is that Moshe Rabbeinu was a prophet on a level of prophecy that will never be matched again and had never been matched till then. That is ex ex exceedingly important. Why? Because the efficacy of a Torah mandate given to people is only relevant if someone else can't come along and say, yeah, but God said to me 
that the Torah is no longer relevant. So someone once asked me why Jews don't believe in Jesus. After all, he was Jewish. I was like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you don't believe in someone just because he's on your team. <laughs> but one of the reasons I said is because it's one of the fundamental beliefs. That I don't believe he's a prophet. But even if he was, it wouldn't matter. You're telling me that God switched out the Jews. But the Torah itself says that the Torah should never be changed. It's never going to be swapped out. The Torah itself says that God will never stop choosing the Jews. And then he'll start choosing someone else. So once the Torah says it, canonizes, that idea, it's locked in. So it had to be that Moshe had a level of prophecy that would never be matched. In fact, the Torah says specifically so. That Moshe Rabbeinu's nevuah was unlike any other navi. I speak to, Hash, to Moshe Rabbeinu straight, face to face. Uh, there's no uh, 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 things that are, that are not, not, not understood. That it's very clear. It's direct. It's awake and not while he's sleeping. Moshe Rabbeinu's nevuah is unparalleled. And it had to be so. And therefore, the neshama required of that person. You see, there are other people in the Torah, right, that are, that are mentioned, that never did a sin in their whole life. You know who's not on that list? Moshe Rabbeinu. Amram, by the way, on the list. Okay? But it didn't matter. Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama is where it is. His nevuah is where it is. Not because, not because, he is a more elevated individual because of his work than anybody else. The proof is that there's other people that sinned, that did not, never did a sin. Moshe Rabbeinu did on whatever level, according to his level, he did whatever it was, something, whatever it was. Small. He, he, with the story with the rock, small, tiny, however big. My friends, if that's the case, then we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu, in the struggle that he put forth in the house of Paro to stay true to his Jewish values, he was able already, even at such a young age, to be able to perceive through the level, the loftiness of the neshama, that he was given things that would be unimaginable for anyone else to understand, to know, to use on that level, to understand, to know, to use with that background. But he was, after all, Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? The reason why the world hates this is because the world that we live in believes that there can't be a trophy given to anyone for a race in kindergarten because someone's feelings might get hurt. So therefore, everyone ran the fastest. Even though that is a physical impossibility, that's what the schools want. That's what they want you to do with, your with the kids in the class. You want anyone's feelings to be hurt, so everyone was the fastest. There's no first place, second place, third place. There's no grades. Right? No one is allowed to be exceptional because then the other person is not exceptional. But we have to stop lying to ourselves. Not all human beings were created equal. They were created equal in terms perhaps of their tzelem elokim. They were created equal in terms of perhaps the idea that their freedoms should not be limited because they, they share this thing called humanity. Equal in front of God, yes. 
Because you know what? You have a guy created with a lofty neshama. Much more is expected of him than someone perhaps who was created with something less. A person who's a genius who wastes his life playing video games is going to have a lot more to answer for in shamayim than someone who has like two brain cells and is only capable of playing video games. By the way, they both only played video games. But God is going to demand more of the person that he gave more to. Okay? My friends, if that's the case, then it is important to understand that this truism that Moshe Rabbeinu was created with something special is not only true about Moshe. It might be true in terms of the, the, uh, uh, the power of his neshama, his ability to receive the word of God. But there are children in our homes that are not created like other children in our homes. And to try and raise your kids the same is to chop the head off of one kid and the legs off of another kid, so all your kids are the same height. That's ridiculous. You're killing one kid, and you're rendering the other kid unable to walk. It's not simple that every one of your kids should be in the same school. Now granted, in some communities, you only have one Jewish school, you wind up sending them there. But you have to compensate for that with tutoring, with effort that you're putting into a child. My friends, the world won't let us say that some people are more equal than others. Some people are smarter. Yes, sorry, that's just how it is. Some people are more talented. That's just how it is. Sorry. Now, yes, I agree. To say that white people are more talented, smart than black people, that's ridiculous. A person can't say something like that because it's not true. That is a racist comment, right? To say men are smarter than women might be a sexist comment, granted. But to say that a person could have more potential than another person, 100% that is the case. So the world doesn't like it. But just because the world doesn't like it doesn't mean it stops being true. We have to stop being like a bunch of ostriches, hiding our head in the sand every time something is unpopular on the streets of the city that we live. And yet, my friends... It seems unfair, not because they say so. Not because we're heading towards some sort of communist regime which wants to take away everything that someone who's wealthy has, just give it to the poor, and fund unemployment, and encourage people to not work because they'll make less money working. That's, That's the world that we want to live in. We have to be able... As Jews, we have to be able, as people who are thinking people, we have to be able to make our voices heard and change the situation and change the game. We have to be able to speak up. Again, not in racial terms, not in sexist terms, not in any other terms, but in terms of real talk. We cannot be afraid to say what is real, what is true. Moshe Rabbeinu was created He walked in the house, the house fills with light, before he did a single good thing in his life. My friends, to not recognize that you are special is a crime. It's a crime against humanity. To not recognize that you were born with some form of uh, uh, accelerated opportunity, privilege. So today we have a generation of kids who say that they're privileged 
And the only thing they want to do with the privilege they have is give it away. They feel they've been made to feel guilty about the privileges they had or that they have. Use it for God's sake. You don't like the state of the world? Don't capitulate and give it away. Use it and make something different out of the world that you live in. Moshe Rabbeinu has this nevuah. So what does he do? He's in the system. He went to a non-Jewish school. P.S. Uh, Egypt 123. But what did he do with it? He found the very first opportunity where something was wrong, and he stepped in and he corrected that wrong. My friends, but on some level this idea bothers us because how could God do this? How could God make one of his children better than another one of his children? And the answer is, and this is super important, being better doesn't make you better. Rambam writes that a person who tries with all of their might, struggles, grows, invests in himself, can become like Moshe Rabbeinu. But Rambam himself says that to believe that, you'd have to be an Apikores. The answer is, he's not talking about Moshe, the prophet. He's talking about Moshe, the Moshe. You could become a person of great stature. You could become a tzaddik. You could become unbelievable. In prophecy alone, Moshe is unreachable, unattainable, no matter what you do. But on everything else, being better doesn't make you better. If I come to shul every day and I sit and I learn Gemara with Rabbi Friedman and I push myself to learn as much as I can. One guy sitting right next to me, he understands the Gemara, easy. He's got that kind of Gemara head. I don't know, he went to Jewish school, I don't know what he's got. He gets it all. I'm sitting here breaking my head against the wall, don't understand anything. I come to shul every day, I try to connect, I do my best. To pray with devotion, I can't. The guy next to me is crying to Hashem. Like, I'll have what he's having. For him, praying is easy. Being better, my friends, he's more devout. Maybe he was born more spiritual than you, less cynical than you. Maybe he was born with a better, higher IQ. He's not better because he's better. And this is the depth of what Chazal teach us when they say, lefum tsara agra. That in the world to come, when God is giving out reward, when God is measuring the measure of a person, He is judged not on His achievements, but on His effort. You come every day, you don't get it. The other guy comes every other day, he knows the whole Gemara. You get more reward than him, even though you don't understand everything you've learned. Because you came more days. You put in more effort. You pulled yourself out of bed more times. Sometimes people, they chase people. They look at the guy sitting next to them in shul, in the community, and they chase people. This guy, look at where he's at, where do I need to be? He started after me, look at where he is, look at where I am. This idea is an idea that is given to you by the Yetzahara, designed to try and make you jealous, make you inadequate, make you feel inferior, you're only chasing yourself. To look at anybody else 
literally achieves nothing. You look at yourself and you say to yourself, am I trying as hard as I can? Am I pushing myself as much as I can? You might look at someone else and have an idea. This guy, oh look, he has the Gemara, but he also has the English on it. That might work for me. I don't speak a word of Hebrew. Maybe that's why I'm not getting anything. Okay, fine. Let's still learn to borrow an idea. But at the end of the day, my friends, you're only chasing yourself. He's better, perhaps, in his output. But God is not judging the output, he's judging the input. And on that, as Rambam tells us, each and every person has the capacity to become a Moshe Rabbeinu on that level. May Hashem bless us to be people who are exerting to the max. May Hashem bless us with eyes that only see our own path. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless us to be in encouraging environments and not have to fight like Moshe Rabbeinu did. And, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, and may God bless us with levels of Ruchaniyut that we could only ever have imagined of. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.